Well, it's great to have you all here this morning. We're in the middle of a series titled Bedrock. And the goal of this series is to reconnect with the essence and foundation of our faith. Uh, We want you to know that it's important to know what it is we believe because what we believe matters. There's a sentence that sums up the bedrock of TFRC's uh, faith beliefs, and that is scripture alone teaches that salvation alone comes through Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. This statement contains what we call the five solas. And the five solas are five phrases that emerged during uh, the Reformation that summarize what reformers thought were the essentials of Christianity. Over the last couple of weeks, Pastor John and Pastor Chuck have looked at uh, Scripture alone, and we've looked at salvation through Christ alone. This morning, we get to look at another one of the five, and that is grace alone. We here at TFRC believe that it is by God's grace alone we are saved. But what specifically does that mean? What do we believe we're being saved from? What is God's grace and how does it matter? How does it change who we are? I'm going to ask John Pearson to come forward to the center of the room to read our scripture passage for the day. But here at TFRC, we have the tradition of standing and facing the center of the room for the reading of God's word. We do this as a reminder uh, that uh, God's word is to be central to who we are and what we do in our lives. So whenever you're ready, John, go ahead and start. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thanks, John. You can all be seated. Being saved by grace is an important bedrock belief of our faith. And this passage brings to light three different realities of ourselves that help us better understand what it means to be saved by grace. We're going to be looking at grace from the lens of who we were, who we are, and who God calls us to be. To appreciate our need for God's saving grace, we need to understand who we were before receiving this great grace. The passage starts by addressing the human condition. 
the condition of sin in our lives. We were originally created to be in relationship with God, but when sin entered the world, we were unworthy to be with him, unworthy uh, to be in the presence of his holiness. So there became this big separation between the two of us. And the byproduct of this is us being born sinners in a sinful world. Now, any of us who have children can confirm this, can't they? The belief that we are born sinners. Because the first words to come out of our kids' mouths are usually mama, dada, and no. We're natural little sinners. Verses 1 through 3 acknowledge and affirm this condition by saying that we are dead in our transgressions and sins. This deadness refers to a spiritual deadness that happens when we are separated from God. Something interesting to note is when we look at the Greek translation for the words transgressions and sins, they both have this imagery of slipping, falling, and missing the mark. Both of these words communicate a similar message. And as they show a failure to meet a standard. This communicates that before receiving God's grace, we had an inability to meet the standards of righteousness to be in his presence. No matter how hard we try, it's impossible for us without God's grace to be with him. Before receiving this grace, we are slaves to sin. It tells us at one point, we used to be captives to the cravings of our flesh and desires and thoughts. It says that in verses 2 and 3. Humanity, choosing to embrace sin, helped lead and create a culture devoted to it. That's what this passage means when it talks about the ways of the world. When we choose to follow our desires over the desires of God's, we begin to give in to the ways of the world. And we see this all the time, don't we? We see ourselves give in to the ways of the world. We see it in ourselves and we see it in others. Personal desires trump God's. It might start with something small, like checking your, your social media feed in the morning instead of praying. Or maybe it's binge-watching a show on Netflix instead of doing our devotions at night. Or maybe there's that house project that just has to get done, and the weekend's the only time where we can do it. Those might seem minor, but we, we live in this world that is full of adultery, coveting, dishonesty, lust, and blurred moral lines. And when we give in to these little things, it takes us down a path that makes us more susceptible to the ways of the world. In what ways this morning might we personally be giving into the ways of the world?
When we look at the human condition of sin in our lives, this passage says, shows us that there's no exception. All of us are born sinners. Verse 3 says this, all of us at one time live for gratifying the cravings of our flesh and finishes by saying that we are by nature deserving of death. We don't deserve to be alive. Doesn't sound very great. Deserving of wrath. Who we are just by ourselves is not deserving to be with God. We're deserving of his wrath. By all accounts, we deserve that wrath and we are unworthy of being with him. But God had and has a greater plan for his people. Verse 5 says this, It is by grace that you have been saved. It is by grace that you have been saved. We were dead in our sin, and now with grace, God's great grace, we are saved. I want to spend a little time this morning looking at what grace is. The nature of God's grace. The Greek word used here for grace is charis. And charis is translated as goodwill, loving kindness, and unmerited favor. Now to the Greeks, charis implied a generosity that demanded loyalty on behalf of its recipients. And so if you look at charis from a, from a, from a Christian standpoint... God's grace is his gift of generosity to us. And our accepting and following Jesus is our response of loyalty. This passage is very insightful when it comes to looking at the nature of God's grace. God's grace, as I've said earlier, is usually described as unmerited favor or loving kindness. But this passage brings to light the source of his grace. Verse 4 starts by stating that it is because of his great love for us that we receive grace. The source of God's wonderful grace is his unmatched, unconditional love for all of us. Now, I don't know about you, uh, the source of my grace is not always from a place of unconditional love. There might be a little personal gain for my grace, or there's, there's a little bit of conditional love to earn my grace. But God loved us all so much that he didn't want to be separated from us anymore. So he used his great love to send Jesus to die on the cross and be raised for our transgressions. His love is a selfless love. Love that motivated him to put us in a place where we could receive grace when we do not deserve it whatsoever. But something this passage also expresses uh, is God's grace is not something that we can run out of. In verse 7 it says, he has incomparable riches of grace. I know that for me, grace usually comes in small sizes. I have a limit but for God, it doesn't matter what we do. He will always give you grace. He has unlimited amounts of it. 
But not only are we given abundant grace, it's a free gift. It's a gift. Verses eight and nine of this passage are the epitome of what we believe about God's grace. It says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works that anyone can boast. God's grace is rooted in love. He has abundant supply of it. But it's not something that we can earn. It is a gift, something out of our control. But if we put our faith in Jesus, he just gives it to us. For many of us, the concept of gift giving and receiving is something that we either struggle with or get wrong. We usually believe that we have to give something back if we have received something. Or we have to maybe work incredibly hard to deserve what it is that we've received. We feel like the need to be worthy of something needs to match what we're being given. We tend to treat gifts trans, as a transaction instead of something that is relational. For example, have you ever been given a Christmas gift by someone you did not expect to get a Christmas gift from? And then all of a sudden, you're like, well, uh, here's this old Mentos I had. You know, I'll, I'll let you have it. Right? We, we have this weird uncomfortability when, when people give us something we don't think we deserve or maybe we didn't give anything back to them. Or on the other side, have you ever been that person that gave an amazing gift only to receive something of littler value back? When we give or receive, we often have this expectation of getting some sort of sentiment returned. Now, believe it or not, Christmas is right around the corner. And uh, it's, there's a long-standing tradition of gift-giving within that. A few Christmases ago, my wife was really hyping up this present she was going to give me. I was so excited about it. She kept saying, Brett, you're going to love it. It's what you need. You talk about it all the time. It's going to be amazing. And so naturally, the hype train starts going up really, really fast. And I'm like, what's it going to be? Is it going to be like a, a PlayStation 4 or some other kid-related item? And, and so I'm, I'm hyping up this, this gift in my brain. And uh, so it dawns on me. It's like, oh, no. What am I going to get her? I have to get her something that's at least equal or greater value than what she's getting me. So, I'm, so I start thinking, okay, I spend a month just really thinking about my present. I don't do that very often, sadly. Uh, so I, I decided to, to raid every thrift store in the Magic Valley to find records because she was collecting records at the time and she said, like, oh, this would be a great record for her. She'd love this. So I, I collect a huge mound of records. Then I go to Bath and Body Works and I plugged that for uh, Cindy Requa uh, last service. I go to Bath and Body Works and I find that perfect scented candle or two. It's just, it smells amazing. And then I, I go and I get a few gift cards to, to a coffee shop and I go find a couple of really neat little trinkets for the kitchen that, that she's just going to love. So I, I get all these things and I'm so excited. I'm like, I hope this compares to what she got me because this sounds like an amazing Christmas gift. So the day comes, and she's opening her present. Oh, love the candles. So 
great smelling. All right, she opens the records. Oh my goodness, how did you find these? This is so sweet. Uh, she opens the gift cards. Oh, I love Java. That's great. And then uh, she opens the little kitchen trinkets. Oh, I've always kind of wanted one of these. And then it comes time for me, and I'm excited. The grand finale. And I look under the tree, and there's only one package. Okay, that's all right. Um, it's a small package. That's okay, too. Uh, great things come in small packages sometimes. Uh, so I go and I open it, excited, and a month of anticipation. And I open it, and inside this small box is a bottle of anti-hair loss shampoo. <laughs> now, i got to give my wife some credit, and she gave me permission to share this. I, I'm a bit OCD, and I was noticing, I was like, my hairline is slowly receding, and I, I learned not to talk about it so much. And, and uh, she thought she was being so thoughtful, but there was a problem there was a huge problem. And I realized this makes me look bad. Whether I knew it or not, I saw gift giving as a transaction. I had the wrong perception of what it meant to receive a gift. God doesn't see this gift of grace as a transaction. He sees this free gift rooted in love. That's the only reason. He loves us. We have a hard time embracing the concept of a free gift. One where we have no control over the situation. It's hard for us to believe that someone would be willing to give us something for nothing. It seems too good to be true. Now, this was quite a new school of thought for the Jewish people of Jesus' time as well. For the Jewish people, God's grace was lived out very differently. For them, grace was a balance of justice and grace. You know, if I just follow the law as good as I can, and if I do the sacrifices I'm supposed to do, then God might have grace on me, and I will one day be in his presence. But the gift of grace, made possible through Jesus' death and resurrection, changed the grace game forever. We no longer need to work to receive that gift it became something we receive just by believing and following Jesus. So we've examined what God's grace is, but how does it impact who we are? There are a couple important truths to take away from the passage in regards to who we, were, who we are when we accept the gift of grace. Verse five says this, that uh, we are alive with Christ when we are dead in transgressions. Now this is a huge transformation. You remember, we were spiritually dead, unworthy of being with God, and now with Jesus, we are alive. God's grace transforms our identity from being dead to sin to alive in Christ. We're able to have that relationship with God we were meant to have now because of Jesus. We no longer have to be slaves to our sins and desires and live to the ways of the world. 
I see this every summer when I go to Hume Lake Christian camps with my students. Every summer I see a group of students go and there's a number of them who are slaves to sin, slaves to their sin, to their desires. And they go to camp and they make this decision to receive the gift of grace. And it's not just this kumbaya moment. It's not just this one time on a mountain. I see change. I see transformation. I start to see them coming back and engaging their Bibles. I see them engage in their faith community. I see the ways that they are there for their Christian brothers and sisters. I see them asking me questions about hard topics they don't know the answers to. When we receive God's grace, we are changed. Now, that begs the question, if when we receive God's grace, we are changed, why is it that we still fall victim to our desires and the ways of the world? Our new identity does not change the reality of the world we still live in. We are surrounded by sinners in a sinful world and we ourselves are still sinners. The difference is we are no longer slaves to that. We have a new master, one rooted in love, that is Jesus. God's grace doesn't only make us spiritually alive, it changes our eternity. It says in verse six that, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This verse tells us that God's grace gives us a new future home. We're no longer bound to this world here. We've got great new things on the horizon. Since our life and identity are in Christ, that means one day we can make our new home in the presence of God as a citizen of heaven. How cool is that? We go from being slaves to sin, dead, to being alive, living with the almighty God. What a thing to be excited about. But it's not only something to be excited about in the future. Our citizenship in heaven, our reality that we will one day forever be with God, can also give us perspective in times when things aren't going well. Maybe it's little, maybe it's big. How does God's grace impact who we are called to be? The gift of God's grace should change who we are, but it also changes who we are called to be. Verse 10, the final verse of our passage says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's grace calls us to be his handiwork. We don't do our good works to receive our salvation anymore. No, no, no. God's grace moves us to those things. It's a response, a reaction to God's grace. 
When we receive the gift of grace that God has given for us through Christ, it should impact the way that we interact with the people around us. It should change the values of our lives. We should see a difference in who we are. Is that where you are? The grace that you have received from God, has that changed you? Something else that God's grace calls us to be is a reflection. We're called to treat people with the type of grace that God would. That might live itself out through graciousness, through empathy, maybe through forgiveness. We all have that relationship, don't we? That one that needs mending. We all have that person we just don't understand. We all have the people we run out of patience for. Believe it or not, there was something that happened this week. Uh, politically, right? There's something happening this, this year as a world. How are we called to be reflections of God's grace in the midst of what we're going through? So you're a Democrat, so you're a Republican. So you are anti-mask, so you are pro-mask. So are your kids should be in school, kids should not be in school. How do you treat the people who aren't like you? Is it grace? Are we reflecting God's love that transcends the world? Or are we falling victim to the ways of the world? I think that's a question we can all ask, especially in, in the current climate we're in. We have incredible opportunity to be reflections of God's grace. Are we living into that? What can we do to make his grace shine through us? A bedrock belief we have here at Twin Falls Reformed Church that many of us should have as, as followers of Jesus is that we are saved by grace alone. It changes our reality and it changes our eternity. Grace changed who we were, who we are, and who we're called to be. Can you imagine the impact we could have on the Magic Valley as a church if we were passionate about this bedrock belief? Imagine the transformation that could happen if we were embracing what it looks like to become reflections of God's grace. We can do that. Are you ready to do that with me? Let's pray. God, we love you so much. And we thank you for, for everything that you've given us. We thank you for your, your gift of grace. Lord, we feel like it's something we need to work towards but it's not. You just give it to us because you love us. We pray that in the midst of everything that's going on with, with our culture, that you can allow us to be reflections of your grace and love. Help us 
to uh, be a light in the world and allow us to continue pursuing the calling you have for us. We love you, God, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. But let's leave with a blessing. May the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.